I know. I feel it, we're at that time where you go into work and it's dark, and you're coming home and it's dark, and yeah. I kind of feel that's part of a reason why I had a bit of a mental dip uh, you know, lately. I think it 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 you sort of think oh, it can't be about that, but I think it's definitely something, isn't it? With the clocks going back they go back yeah the clocks go back yeah fall back I think that's all it all adds layers to it I think I think so there's never a really simple answer and so there's never a really simple solution which is probably an interesting talking point today actually it is it is well the way I've done it we've started hello Lucy (laughs) hi friends everybody listening and watching hi Lucy um I've been myself and Neil I've been very lucky that we've got to speak to you a couple of times on various podcasts that we've done um and you've always come out with some cracking stories <laughs> <laughs> I would recommend anybody finding Lucy's um uh, episodes on our WTAF this country podcast and on our top 10 uh, of anything because top 10 of anything we did toys we loved as a child I think that was the one we wasn't did. it yeah it was so much fun and I think for the um this country podcast it was um yeah, it was going back to my Cherry Burton years. And That's right. What I got up to and the kind of the innocence of the naughtiness, if that oh, makes sense. I'm not going to spoil anything, but if you, <laughs> if those episodes are still up on any podcast provider. Go and listen to the one with Lucy because... I mean, I don't know what the statute of limitations is, but uh, but she did definitely give us a few juicy morsels of information. <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, but obviously this is a little bit of a different kind of podcast. It's more of a, just an informal chat kind of thing. But I wanted to talk to you um, not just about the books that you've written, hmm. but also the way I've been looking at it since starting doing this podcast. It's things when when you have mental health issues or depression or anything like that, starting, I mean, starting something like writing a book, hmm. whether you've got mental health issues or not, must be absolutely like daunting because you're you you've got that blank page in front of you and you have to work out how you're going to fill it now i noticed on your social media you've been trying to have this uh regimen of i'm going to do so many words a day yeah <laughs> now is that is that adding anxiety in that because you've just you start off with a blank page now you're giving yourself another thing of like i'm going to do how many how many thousand words a day is it you want to do oh do you know what i haven't haven't. (laughs) you know i did i started off really well okay the issue for me is that there's so much that goes on in my brain that goes on really really quickly that i then get distracted and so i've got quite a few projects going on at once And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to concentrate on this one. Three and a half thousand words a day. I mean, that was ridiculous in its own thing. But that's how my brain works. It gets massively excited about something and then it gets distracted and really excited about something else. And yeah, it's part of the whole personality that links to the, um, I mean, personality is obviously very distinct from having a mental health problem. But there are some crossovers, I think, and some parts of my personality play into the anxiety as well. So that high level of excitement excitement does cross into high levels of anxiety at times. So you're right, it was a ridiculous layer to add on, but I've learned enough to know I don't need to give myself a slap on the wrist for not sticking to my own ridiculous ambitions. <laughs> right, right. But is it, I mean, is it part of your character then that you want to give yourself these little bridges to cross or these little walls to to climb and how do you how do you because I know if I do that for myself if I don't make those 
bridges or if I don't climb that wall, then it is a stick to beat myself with. It's the, it's another little layer of saying, well, you're, you're just you're just not good enough because you failed again. You know, mm-hmm. and I find that with dieting and with trying to keep fit or trying to get fit. I, in, first thing in the morning, I've got all the best intentions. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. I get home, sit down, have my tea and that's it. I'm done for the day. So it's it must be Oh my God, I don't know. Is it easier or harder to set yourself these levels? And how do you deal with it and cope with it for yourself? I think it, so for me, targets work really, really well. And I mean, when you've just mentioned there as well about like, um, you know, lifestyle and food and things like that. And I have in the past had, um, I think my upset with, with food in the past has been very much around that I felt out of control because I am quite food obsessed and in the past I felt very much out of control now if I set myself a target to not eat certain things it doesn't work Mm. I have to set myself a target to eat certain things so the idea of um I don't know uh looking at more and more recipe books and introducing more different foods and things like that because at the end of the day having a more balanced diet is better for you, because I'm such a carb monster, um, I could eat buttered toast all day. I've just um, literally had two pieces of buttered toast. <laughs> yeah, I've yeah. Just had my crumpets and I would probably want more later. And that's fine, that's cool. And it's winter, we need to do that. But um, so for me, actually um, taking things away from me doesn't work. Mm. So, you know, the idea that you can't sit on the sofa and watch a a film that you want to watch and have a lazy that doesn't work for me I need to give myself myself things to do not things that I can't do not restrict myself and I think when it comes to work as well um you know I need to be careful that like we said I don't get overexcited and set ridiculous targets and if I do I'm more I think I know at the start that I'm being ridiculous, so I'm less likely to beat myself up about it. But I actually just said this morning, I've got something um, my agent's given me a deadline for, and the deadline is in three weeks. And I said to my husband, this is going to be hell for three weeks because I want to do it now. I want to hand this in now and I want to get some feedback the day after and I want to know where I'm at. So for me, and I think this links to anxiety, there's an uncertainty that I can't cope with. I just like, if I've got something to do, I want to get it done. I know I need to have it done by this date, da, da, da. And if that goes into the future too long for me, I struggle with it. I don't know why it's, yeah. But, uh, so that, that's quite interesting because when you say, see, so you would rather be able to get instant reaction to be able to feed off that and work on that then have a have a uh, like a finite line at the end of like three weeks and that so after that three weeks is that thing then taken away from you and you can't do anything with that well yeah and then you've got to wait haven't you you've right. got to or and because people work at a normal pace whereas i get ridiculously overexcited and need to do oh there's a new project we need to, we're going to try for this or we're going to apply for this right but the deadline is in three, four weeks. Oh my, oh my God. But I've got this now and I'm excited by it. And I'm going to do it now. I'm going to literally do it right now. So I do I do really struggle with that. I do struggle with patience right. and uncertainty. 
And I think that definitely links to anxiety. And I know when I was working with student minds um, and, you know, what some of their psychologists and counsellors and people put together for, for students, they found that because um, I was working with them around the time of the pandemic, that one of the hardest things that students were struggling with in relation to their mental health was uncertainty. Yeah. And I think that links, like I say, it links to anxiety. So, um, I mean, we're all very different. I think we all respond to things differently. Some people probably benefit from, you know, um, telling themselves that they can't do this, that and the other um, to improve their work ethic or their life or whatever. But that really does not work for me. It mm. really doesn't. I need to add to my life in order to benefit. I think I think something like um, I mean, the pandemic was such a unique experience for everybody. Mm. For mm. some people, it didn't it didn't affect them. Like my my wife um, worked in a supermarket, so she was a frontline worker. So yeah. nothing changed for her. Whereas yeah. I was off for, I think it was like four months or something. It was just crazy. But yeah. like what you say about the uncertainty, my anxiety went into overdrive because I was absolutely sure that this virus was going to get me. So I never went yeah. out. I stayed in all the time. And I was scared when, not scared, but I was uncertain um, when like my wife would come home. I thought, oh, my God, who has she been mixing with? And yeah. my daughter was a, um, a veterinary nurse. So who has she been mixing with? And oh, my God. And, it's, you be, and you look at it now and you think it's ridiculous. I mean, it was just that nobody knew, wasn't it? But the thing is, like with, with yourself, I mean, I suppose being an author, you could just crack on and, and carry on working. Or, or, or was that uncertainty in your mind that stopped you from doing that? No, do you know, it's interesting for me, the pandemic, when it first started, I became, because I have health anxiety as well, I became, interestingly, it wasn't the, it wasn't COVID that I became obsessed with. It was all forms of cancer. I don't know why. I have oh. no idea. I had to have a, a phone, obviously, because we were having phone conversations with GPs then, weren't we? And I had to speak to my GP at the start of pandemic. We'd just gone into lockdown, started working from home. Um, and oh, and of course, obviously I did have, because I've got, I'm quite creative and my imagination runs wild. You know, I did start thinking of, you know, end of the world kind of stuff <laughs> was kind of in there. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think everybody like, was doing that. <laughs> yeah, it was such a, a weird time you know you watch these movies like don't you like science fiction and stuff and you think can you imagine if you're in that situation where the whole world was like coming to an end unless these two people like yeah. sold something and and yeah. it, it it had that kind of vibe but the thing that was making me ill clearly the pandemic triggered some health anxiety but it came out as have I got ovarian cancer? Have I got cervical cancer? Have I got stomach cancer? Have I got leukemia? I became obsessed with all these different types of cancers. And when I spoke to my doctor, oh, she was so good because she took me very seriously on each one and kind of seriously talked through, well, those symptoms are not indicative, actually. You would need, you would be going through other things. And so she, she took me seriously and talked me through those things. And then said, what I'm more concerned about is your anxiety and, you know, the, the harm that that's going to do to you. And would you like to see a counsellor again? So um, it was really great. And I, to have that 
support. But yeah, it was a not only that, it was a time of uncertainty for me because I was I was working for a, an organization like a tourism organization at the time. Right. So, you know, there was no tourism. So um, I was made redundant um i was i think probably at the end of a long line of people who had been made redundant from the organization um because that had been going on for a little while so that kind of you know gave me a huge amount of uncertainty but i felt i don't know how i did it i somehow turned it into a positive because for years my mum had been saying to me you'd be a brilliant freelancer and I was like, I, I can't do it. I can never do it. Oh, my God, the mortgage. Da, 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 never. But because I'd been forced into a situation, it wasn't like I was making the decision not to do a, an in-house job. Mm. That decision had been made for me. So I was adding to rather than taking away. And so that felt quite empowering. And, yeah, and here we are now, and I'm still freelancing, and I'm happier than I've ever been in in my line of work so so yeah. I, I always talk about layers because i always feel things like um anxiety and depression it's not one big lump of something it's for me anyway it's, mm. it's layers of things that go on top and it gets to a certain point where it just gives you know so yeah. it just it just does that something like working freelance I, I always think to myself that has got to be one of the most i mean i mean already you've got this blank page that you've got to try and fill out <laughs> then yeah. you're a freelancer so you you like if you don't work, you don't get yeah. paid. You know, is yeah. it, it's not like, oh, I'm not feeling well today, so I'm going to take a day off. I'm going to, again, that must add to the anxiety. I mean, I suppose at the start, when you've got, when you're just starting it, it must add, add the anxiety. Yeah, so at the start, because I didn't have enough faith in myself because I'd never done it before, I was applying for in-house roles whilst building my freelance portfolio. Right thinking that if I don't get enough of this freelance work, I might have some interviews and I'm therefore still trying to get, you know, a, a, a salary. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've had recently, God, I was on the phone to my mum literally two weeks ago, like, oh my God, it's the end of the world. Like, I've got a massive tax bill to pay. I've fucked up, like, all my tax savings. Like, what am I going to do? And then literally the very next day, one of the funding bids that I'd put in came off. And my mum was saying to me at the time, have more faith in yourself. You always get through these things. It's never the end of the line. Like, you will be fine. And I never learned that. I catastrophize. And that is something that I am very used to doing and I have done pretty much all my life, is that, you know, if there is a little bit of uncertainty, like, um, you know, oh, there's like within three months, I'm going to need to bring in X amount of work on top of my retainers. I start flipping out about it. Whereas my husband, who has always been self-employed, he's like, that's a really good position to be yeah, in. Yeah. Gonna be do you do that all the time anyway. You work business development, da da da, you do it anyway. But I catastrophize it. And um, and I do that with with most things. You know, if if my cat's sick, it's like, oh, there's something. <laughs> It's wrong with the cat. They've got a sinister disease, and I'm going to lose them early. And yeah, catastrophizing is a is is very familiar to me. Do you class that as a positive characteristic, though? Because there there's people that I know that 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 sort of go through life, and they are very um, what's the word? 
but nothing seems to phase them. You know, oh. it just like it just they just carry on. And I always think I'm I'm pretty much the same as you. I always tend to be a glass half empty kind of guy, as in I think the worst thing is going to happen. If it doesn't happen, that's a plus. Yes. As opposed to it being like, oh my god, it's, if it's going to happen, then all hell breaks loose, and then you're kind of pleasantly surprised. You know, it's kind. Of, do you feel that's a positive characteristic rather than going on being absolutely positive about everything all the time? So I think it can be. I mean. Me and my husband have talked about this before. Like, I would never wish, because um, we've both experienced panic attacks over the years, and I find them the most terrifying thing I've ever been through. Um, because even though nothing terrifying is actually happening, it authentically feels terrifying. Mm. And um, I would never, never wish them on anyone. But one of the plus sides from having felt that way is the contrast for when things are calm. So I find such satisfaction in the smallest things, which I'm, I'm really grateful for. Like, you know, sometimes if I'm sat in bed and reading a book and there's a cat sat with me, I take that moment to think, God, the calm, the peace, there is no doom descending, there is no terror, there is... Because although I don't get panic attacks as much anymore, hardly ever these days um I mean really hardly ever I've really got them under control um you know I still remember how terrifying those things were and so the contrast of when things are just calm you know I don't have to be like winning a lottery and going on holiday and da 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 I haven't been abroad for about eight years or something I'd love a holiday mm. um but being able to find that sort of gratitude in just those little moments is a lovely thing. And I think, I do think it's it's all about contrast. If you've, if you've been somewhere quite dark and scary in your head, or if, you, you know, if you've experienced that as actual real life trauma, um, I think that is something that you can appreciate more. Right. Um, the episode that we did before, I did before this one with um, a therapist called uh, Jen Porvesi from America. Um, I asked her the question because I'm not spiritual. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not religious. I don't believe, it's not, I don't, I don't believe in religion, but I'm not, sh I'm not sold on spirituality. Uh, and she told me a couple of things um, to try. And it's weird you said that thing about when you saw the cat you were just thinking about the cat and that that to me was like that's like baseline spirituality just if you're washing your hands just don't do anything else just concentrate on what you're doing the feeling and stuff like that so i'm starting to go in going through just to see mm. as a, as a skeptic you know i'm kind of going in with my arms folded and sort of like well come on then show me what you can do which probably isn't the right um attitude to have going you should be a bit more open but have you ever, are you, do you deal in spirituality? Are you a spiritual kind of person? Um, I think to a degree, I'm not religious. I celebrate Christmas, but I'm not really. <laughs> well, many. that's about presents though, isn't it? And yeah, turkey. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm not religious, but um, I do feel that there is something out there. And I've always been interested in, because I did a lot of work with um, recovery charities and the 12-step program and the higher power and things like that. So I'm quite interested in that and how 
having a belief that there is something beyond us, whatever that might be, whether it be nature or something spiritual, whatever, is um, it's like a really good thing. So I have noticed that when you, I remember when I was, when I was having a, a sort of a mini panic attack one time and I looked out of the window. So I was doing the thing where you say, you know, when you just stop and you're just washing your hands and you just allow yourself that moment of being in the present and at that time, because there weren't as many houses built around us then, we were on a new new estate and we were one of the earliest to move in, I think. So um, there was just this clear view over to all the trees. And it just had that thing of reminding you that you're quite a small thing in this huge world. And it gives you that perspective, which is so calming. Weirdly, it sounds like, in some ways, it sounds like a... Um, uh a negative thing thinking that you're not that important but I think when you deal with anxiety there is not if you call it an ego thing with it but it's that thing where you feel like you know it's that persecutory sort of you know people out to get me you know or like of course something bad's going to happen to me of course mm. you know but I don't know whether it's like ego or whatever it's almost narcissistic in a weird way I completely um, agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah. It doesn't mean, because I think that's the thing, you know, narcissistic doesn't mean that we're all like Donald Trump, does it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, no, I hope not. <laughs> and I read that there are two sides to it. There's like the extrovert and the introvert narcissist. And it's the, I think that's right, the introverted narcissist is more about, you know, things that are happening, things, bad things that can happen to me and because it's me. And so it's all wrapped up in me, but not necessarily oh, it's because I'm great. It's just, you know, for whatever reason, you become a bit preoccupied with bad things happening to you. And I think that drives a lot of my anxiety. Um, but so, yeah, I do think that nature um, is really good for you. And my husband is like massive. He's always been into nature and the outdoors. So like if he's ever struggling and like he's, he's said a bit like you, you know, when it comes to winter and everything's dark, he struggles a bit because he needs that kind of you know being outdoors all the time stuff so he will make an effort to just get in the car go to his favorite beach and just walk down it and just take it in and often on his own so there's no distraction he's just there in the moment and I think that's yeah I think I think you can get a lot from nature mm. I, yeah, I completely agree with all that. The the I think I am an introverted narcissist because it, it, it definitely the amount of times I feel like I'm the one that's I've I've said on this podcast before. If I see two people talking, I automatically think they're talking about me. Yes, even if they're people I don't know, or if you know, it's just that weird thing. I think, what have I done wrong? Why are yeah. they? Why what what have I done that they're talking about me? Why don't they just come over and say to me instead? And then you, you, your brain then gets filled with all these different scenarios. Of what have I yeah. done wrong? Why are they talking about? Why don't they like me? And they're people that are, they're just talking about their tea or something like that. Yeah. It just becomes a, a just a, a constant battle with you know and voices in your head of like yeah they 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 really don't like you. They you've yeah. done something really bad, and it's it becomes yeah. The one thing I did want to ask you, I noticed again, uh, I've not been stalking you, but I was just looking at your social media. You were saying about when you, um, you were saying about a book signing um, not long ago and you were saying, oh God, you know, I just don't want that anxiety of returning oh. up and there being nobody there. 
that again is another layer to your work that you not only again this blank page then you've got to work out how you're going to do this when somebody's saying i need this in three weeks or you've got to do this then you've got to go out in public and perform basically yeah so i was talking about this yesterday with my cousin actually um because for me i mean i used to be so unbelievably shy like the idea of standing up in front of an audience would just make me feel sick but when I was in my early 20s I kind of knew that I wanted to get past that and so I really pushed myself to do that and I've got to a point now where I'm really quite comfortable doing that so you know if somebody gave me a guaranteed audience of 200 who were interested in the topics I was talking about and put plonk me on a stage I'd be very very happy I'd be very comfortable doing that the idea of going somewhere and it being all about you and the people are going to turn up because they're interested in you and they might like the idea of going somewhere and two people turning up it just absolutely terrifies me it's crushing mm. it's a um Clearly, it's a self-esteem thing. It takes you back to that thing of, you know, is anyone going to come to my birthday party? <laughs> it's like that, isn't it? It's, it's um, yeah, that's the, that's the worst bit for me of being an author is not having to speak publicly, but having to attract interest mm. in your speech or whatever it is, your conversation. So I have found, like, I did an event at um, Collected Books in Durham um, a few months ago, which was fabulous because it was a um, it was a book club. So um, they already had read the book and they knew people were going to be coming to discuss the book because it that's that was the format. So you know, even though I knew that not everybody there liked my book, they didn't. Um, but they were there to discuss it, and that felt quite comfortable. Right. For me. Yeah. But yeah, going somewhere to introduce the book and, you know, especially where there's like no ticket involved and it's just people just like walk up and yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're writing, I can imagine it's a little bit like podcasting. It's like you're writing with yourself. You're in the heads of the characters. You're not, or are you thinking about the people that are going to read the book? Or are you just in that moment? This is like, say, same podcasting, we're just chatting. I'm not thinking that somebody in America is going to listen to this or someone in Australia is going to listen to this. I'm just having a conversation with you, like as if we were just going out for a coffee or something. Mm. Do, do, do you ever think about the reader when you're, when you're doing the book, when you're actually physically writing it? Yeah, so I think this comes from, again, it's catastrophizing and possibly why I was so suited to working in PR and media. Yeah, because right. was, you know, a media crisis or something. I, I, it was very easy for me to think about what is the worst angle somebody could take from this and how can I mitigate against that? I mean, I do it at the minute when I do interviews with um, people with lived experience of um, mental health problems. And, you know, I can have an hour long in-depth conversation with them. For example, if we're talking about intrusive thoughts and I have a good understanding of intrusive thoughts and how intrusive thoughts do not equal intention, um, you know, but I am constantly thinking, how can I safeguard this person's story if an editor or somebody might pick it up and twist it around? So right. 
I have this natural propensity, I suppose, to think like that, to think what's the worst that somebody could think when reading this. So actually, when I'm writing something, particularly when I'm writing about a sensitive topic. So yes, it's fiction, but I'm always thinking, how does this person come across? How does this character come across? How could she be perceived? Um, you know, how can we keep the audience guessing, but without hating on it? But also how, as an author, will I be perceived for having explored these issues in the way that I've explored them? So I, I do think as I'm writing things, my brain is constantly thinking about what is the worst thing that a reader could think about me and this character in this book. I'm reading. So wow. it's surprising. Yeah. So you have that in your head as you're as you're writing it. That I mean, that's another layer, isn't it? On there straight away. Does that yeah. does that make it easier to to write then, or does that make it a little bit harder to write with that extra wall you've got to jump when you're thinking about that? I think that I'll be honest. I think that dampens creativity a little bit. Yeah. Um, so on the it's one, it's almost like you're censoring yourself. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know what impact that has on the finished product and people's perceptions of it. I don't really know. I know that because I'm trying to safeguard my characters, my story, myself. Um, especially when I write non-fiction as well and I've got real people stories to deal with I think it's a really positive thing um, yeah. because you can't you know it's like it's like when you drive a car you can drive the car as carefully as you want to but it's how other people are That's... driving how other people are reacting on the road and stuff and I think that's a similar thing with especially the media you know we all know that celebrities get interviewed don't they and they can say they can say something and it can just be like taken out of context and mm. spun around and so I, I I I do really worry about that but I do think so I think particularly in non-fiction is very very helpful I think in fiction it's probably an area of development for me to be honest to kind of loosen up a bit yeah Especially because I've been so interested in, um, you know, when we've thought about flawed characters, I always think of, I've always gone as far as to look at, I love a flawed character, but they're usually flawed in very likeable ways, like they're flawed by their vulnerability, for example. Mm. Whereas when you watch something like, which I love, like Irving Welsh's Crime, these Flawed characters are not just flawed in their vulnerability, but they're flawed in that they sometimes do quite selfish or narcissistic, or, but you are still kind of cheering them on because you're accepting them what's and all kind of thing. And mm. that, you know, there is something inherently good about what they're trying to do, but they're not, they're certainly not perfectly good people. So I do think I need to try to stop jumping to like the worst possible outcome and let my creativity run a bit wilder <laughs> yeah because i wonder with with with, with like your fictional works if you're thinking about what the the audience might think or what they might say about a specific character does it stop your character then doing what you want it to naturally do do you veer off and change that character's path i mean to an extent it can do it doesn't always i mean but is that frustrating then when you when you think you're doing it for that reason i think that there are yeah yeah and 
but I think there are times when I do, like I've killed off characters before who were lovely characters who didn't deserve to die, but right. I need that twist in a story. Yeah, yeah. That feels quite difficult. <laughs> um, and, you know, putting your characters through the ringer when you're like, oh, haven't they been through enough? No, actually. So that's, that's that other side of the, the kind of the reader thing is that they want the jeopardy and they want the the whole kind of roller coaster of emotion. Mm. Um, and sometimes as well, I suppose sometimes I, I'm kind of going against what I've said before in a little way, because sometimes I feel like I've got to be so true to real life in terms of managing expectations that I don't neatly tie endings up sometimes. And I've had people say to me, I was so angry with you. Oh, really? <laughs> I really wanted like, proper justice to happen and you didn't let it happen why didn't you let it happen it made me quite angry and I was like because it doesn't does it mm. like you know I, I kind of like what if I'm writing this story and I've got everyone thinking yeah I just have to stand up and speak out and the whole world's going to be better and society's going to be better and the bad people are going to get their just desserts and it doesn't happen like that so I feel a little bit of responsibility in that way in terms of managing expectations you know if I do speak out about an injustice, actually, it's not going to be that easy. And I'm not just going to, you know, win the world over and put the bad guys in prison or in their place or whatever it might be. Um, and sometimes the reader wants that. I mean, but as an author, that must be a wonderful feeling that you've got somebody so invested in your story that they are not happy with one of the things that you've done rather than come up and say i agree with everything you did it was fantastic if you got somebody that comes up and they were, they were so passionate about your story that it that they want to come and confront you and say i didn't like that at all yes i love that because i think as well going back to that idea of when you can be so sort of self self-obsessed in a like what we were talking about like you know swan doesn't like my book it's because i'm rubbish you know that's so that's the first thing my brain jumps to someone doesn't like my book it's because i'm a rubbish writer and i don't deserve to have a book in this genre and other. but when someone says that to you about you know how could you do that i was so angry with you and you know if you, you go job done like, yeah tick job done exactly so they might have because people rate books in very different ways they could have given you a two-star rating for that because even mm. though they got quite involved in it as a reader what they want out of a book is to feel satisfied some readers want to feel a bit like left with questions and you know whereas others if you don't tie things up they might not like them. we're all totally different and we all read for very different reasons but yeah if if i if I had a bad review because of something like that, I would feel like job done. It's it's I've provoked somebody. I mean, I had one recently that um, I actually used anonymously. I didn't say her name, obviously, but I had an absolutely terrible review, one star review, because my book had lots of swear words and periods and blood in it. And so I just turned it around and said, so obviously this doesn't suit everyone, but if you like swear words, periods and blood in a book, then give my book a try and I sold less more books. <laughs> because we are all different, but back to the anxiety and self-esteem thing, it's so easy and very. it's a very natural place for me to just yeah. fall into the, it's because I'm a crap writer and they don't like me. Mm. 
not the case at all. <laughs> That's that internal narcissist again, isn't it? Is that yeah. uh, without a shadow of a doubt? Um, so. I mean, I suppose you can't tell us what you're working on at the moment, but um, you've obviously got a lot of stuff going on. Yes. Yeah. I'm moving into, because I've, I've been chatting with my agent a lot, who is like my manager, therapist, friend. She's like everything rolled into one. She's brilliant. And I've been chatting to her a lot about my direction recently and because I suppose I was writing things that didn't fit neatly into any genre and because I've now written things that fit in lots of different genres and we're trying to find a place for me to um, establish myself and sort of build an author brand, I suppose. And because I like the dark stuff, but I love humour, she was saying something I'd written was kind of erring on the psychological thriller. Um, sort of genre so you know obviously I've read a bit more in that area and yeah. I've I've got some funding actually to develop in that area so I've had some mentoring I'm doing an amazing I'm so excited I'm doing a crime fiction course and one-to-one mentoring with a former detective I'm very very excited about that um brilliant author called Nikki Smith who's been helping me um so whilst I'm not say too much about the actual premise of the books that I'm working on they are in the sort of dark psychological thriller space but with I love dark humor and gallows humor and so with a sprinkling of that so I'm I I feel like I'm really finding my feet now I just need to you know develop in that in that area and and it's a great place as well um you know being able to be mentored and coached by people because then you feel less alone and and you've got to be um willing to learn from others because even if you've got a great idea you know there's a lot about the sort of tropes you need to follow or like pace and plot and craft and so I'm learning a lot at the minute and I'm absolutely loving it you're so Hollywood with that Hollywood answer, isn't it? I can't tell you anything about it at the moment. <laughs> okay, last question, uh, which is in two parts, which have now become like the stock end of the, the podcast. Um, if you could go back to your 10-year-old self, what would you say to her? Um, just open your mouth and speak, because I think I was... Um, yeah, just trust whatever comes out. Just just know that what you've got to say is important and is worth saying because I think for a long time, I think the reason I was so shy is probably because I didn't... It's a self-esteem thing, isn't it? I don't have anything important or relevant to say and I think that carried right into my teens and everything. So, yeah, just speak. Yeah. Did you grow up in like, in like a noisy household where you didn't have chance to speak or was it more like... You just didn't want to? No, I think I was probably quite outspoken in my household. Like, um, you know, I think my parents were very sociable. Um, I have a, a sister. We fought like cat and dog growing up. So we were definitely quite outspoken with each other. It was outside of that, I oh, think. right. So, you know, in school, um, you know, moving into the workplace when I was very young, I was very, very, very shy. And I do think that comes from a, a place of self-esteem and, and self-worth. So, 
yeah, I'm very outspoken these days. <laughs> Making the most of it, yeah. Making up for lost time. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and uh, the, the second part of the question, um, your 75-year-old self comes back and sees you now. Uh, what do you think she'd say to you? I think she'd be proud of my relentless trying to better myself but I think she would tell me to you know put the brakes on take some time out and chill because you've only got one life so balance things out yeah and she put says your feet up, watch a crime drama you don't have to be creating all the time yeah, yeah. Eat, eat some carbs uh, and she'll, <laughs> yeah she'll say to you don't worry you've had plenty of holidays abroad as well you've had plenty of time away yes totally it's <laughs> Some butted crumpets and <laughs> big pizza and a beer. Why not? Yeah. Nice. So, um, if everybody wanted to get hold of your stuff, uh, I take it you must have a, a website or anything like that. Um, yes, I've got a link tree with everything on, but I can't remember what it is. It's probably just a if you Google link tree Lucy Nickel, but it's on my Twitter and everything. So I'm on Twitter or X. I don't call it X. Twitter. I know. Twitter. <laughs> um lucy e nickel and i think the same on tiktok and instagram well i'll put uh if i can get hold of the link tree i'll put that in the show notes so people can just uh just uh click on it and um, which is your latest is nowhere as if not that's your latest book is it yeah so that's a, a bit of a feminist rom-com um so nowhere is it not set in newcastle and it's about one woman's mission to break up with the word sorry so it's kind of about self-esteem and stuff as well there having like knowing you have got a place in the world yeah. right and is amazon the best place to get that for you or is or anywhere anywhere it's anywhere. Uh, amazon waterstones wh smiths whatever okay yeah. i'll find the amazon link and put that in the show notes as well so people can uh people can get that um lucy before i actually say a proper goodbye i've got to get through all this gubbins that i have to say as well uh if you want to get in touch with us please email bigblackbearpod at gmail.com the links for our link tree and spotify and amazon and apple and uh, good pods uh where you can listen to the podcast uh, and to watch it on youtube as well all in the show notes along with our social media again they, they shorten it to X, but you've got to say now X, formerly known as Twitter, which makes it longer. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Why don't they just keep it as it was? Oh, Elon, what are you doing? I don't know. Um, but if you enjoy the podcast and it helps on some small way, um, but you need urgent help, then please call the Samaritans in the UK on 116123. In the US, it's 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-TALK. Or the US suicide hotline is just 988. Uh, and if you want something a bit more lighter and a bit more, uh, why isn't it lighter? But I don't know. I, I do a top 10 pod uh, with my pod bro, Neil, which Lucy has very kindly been on. And hopefully you'll come and join us again in the new year as well, because we'd, we'd have to find something, another another fun one to do. Um, but like I say, come and That's listen so to Lucy uh, on the, it was top 10 uh, toys you wanted as a child, which was a great didn't one. Get yeah. Yeah. And then also <laughs> find us on the WTAF This Country with Lucy. Cause she's got some great great stories i don't know how many of them have followed their way into their books i don't know but i'm sure they may yeah, have. Might have to do that yeah <laughs> <laughs> but thank you very much for joining me lucy it's always a pleasure to, to chat to you it really is even though it's early in the morning oh thanks for having me it's been good fun great thank you very much everybody bye friends mm -hmm.